Have you ever been plunged under the surface of your conscious life and found yourself all at sea? My Jungian therapist said to me that this breakdown was the best thing that had ever happened to me. Poetry, anxiety and vulnerability. This is the Anxious Poets Podcast. The Terrible Invitation The place seemed on the verge of collapse from old age and neglect. The walls were cracked, the low vault was crumbling, the beams were rotting. Wild grass sprouted along a narrow window and the crescent-shaped apse, once bright blue with painted stars, was faded and peeling. No one had worshipped at San Damiano for years from Donald Spotto's Reluctant Saint, The Life of Francis of Assisi. Living can become a crumbled down church in whose ruins you accept your smithereen self and see it mirrored in a crucifix hanging by a thread. This is what happened to the man called Francis, a nickname from his French mother. His real name was John, after the gaunt locust eater of Judea. He went off to fight Perugia, next of many walled cities, a young man dreaming of knightly standing, taken, dungeoned for a year, needing a father's ransom, returning sick, recovering far from his old life, beyond Assisi's walls where lepers and thieves roved, finding a ruined chapel, conversing with a crucifix. The artist Giotto captures this on basilica walls in the great mausoleum made for the saint after his death to claim his approval for their Christendom. But if you let your gaze penetrate, it is so much more stark than the old pious stories. It's what happens when you face your own dismantling and say yes to it. Francis was addressed by this pinioned figure, inviting him to relinquish all his facades, not a lord demanding fealty, but courteously from below, a wounded lover. He set about rebuilding the ruined chapel, brick by painful brick, He said it was his calling what the voice asked of him, unaware of just what was being rebuilt. This is how radical this man was. His literalism kept him close to instinct soil and the pain that comes from being at the end of yourself. Yet his story says there is a greater lover at that frayed tether end, calling you, renovating you, as you feel the slow dawn of visceral kindness. If you allow yourself to face the terrible invitation in the crumbled down church of your own brokenness, it won't leave you unwounded, but it will become a life.
the terrible invitation. Living can become a crumbled down church in whose ruins you accept your smithereen self and see it mirrored in a crucifix hanging by a thread. This is what happened to the man called Francis, a nickname from a French mother. His real name was John, after the gaunt locust eater of Judea. He went off to fight Perugia, next of many walled cities, a young man dreaming of knightly standing, taken, dungeoned for a year, needing a father's ransom, returning sick, recovering far from his old life, beyond Assisi's walls, where lepers and thieves roved, finding a ruined chapel, conversing with a crucifix. The artist, Giotto, captures this on basilica walls in the great mausoleum made for the saint after his death, to claim his approval for their Christendom. But if you let your gaze penetrate, it is so much more stark than the old pious stories. It is what happens when you face your own dismantling and say yes to it. Francis was addressed by this pinioned figure, inviting him to relinquish all his facades. Not a lord demanding fealty, but courteously, from below, a wounded lover. He set about rebuilding the ruined chapel brick by painful brick. He said it was his calling, what the voice asked of him unaware of just what was being rebuilt. This is how radical this man was. His literalism kept him close to instinct soil and the pain that comes from being at the end of yourself. Yet his story says there is a great lover at the frayed tether end, calling you renovating you as you feel the slow dawn of visceral kindness. If you allow yourself to face the terrible invitation in the crumbled down church of your own brokenness, it won't leave you unwounded, but it will become alive. Like many of you, I've felt a desire to know when this will all be over, when this lockdown will finish and life can return to normal. 
and then I've heard increasingly people using the language of the new normal and I've felt myself wanting to adjust to that but feeling desperately disorientated, dislocated and that this situation is dismantling my sense of what was normal and what will be normal in the future and I've chosen this poem to recite the terrible invitation because it talks about this dismantling. I've also recently seen on the news the reaction in this country, you can feel a growing reaction, you can feel more traffic on the roads um, to, to being locked down. And then seen in America, I saw a very disturbing sight on uh, the news of, of a flotilla of yachts and boats sailing up some creek in Florida toward where President Trump was staying and banners saying Trump 2020 and our freedom won't be curtailed. I mean, they didn't put it like that, but you know, we want our freedom and demonstrations in different states and the opening up of states in America. And whatever your politics, I can't help but feel that that is a futile gesture against a virus and all this language of warfare strikes me as, as futile and unhelpful. I'm reminded of the film, The English Patient, um, which is a, a, a making of the novel by Michael Ondaatje into a film with uh, Kristen Scott Thomas and Ray Fiennes. And there's, there's a, a moment in that where, where they're in a sandstorm in the desert, the two main characters, and he starts talking about winds. And he talks about one particular wind that the, the tribesmen would go out and fight with knives. They'd go out and fight the wind with knives. And this futility of, of, of what seems to be going on in different places feels like that. It feels like running out to fight something. And all this language of warfare about something natural. I'm pretty certain that this is a natural occurrence. We have had uh, plagues and viruses before. We just live in an age where we thought that we were now inured from all that, that we'd protected ourselves. And so much of the language, even in Christianity, is of the victory of God and we'll claim victory over this. I think it's a terribly redundant theology. I think that weakness and vulnerability and brokenness is part of the human condition and that it is an invitation and that there is a deeper current in psychology and theology and spirituality uh, that is about learning to open ourselves to the terrible invitation of our vulnerability and that's where this poem came from. I wrote it right in the middle of my powerful breakdown, which was an onset of anxiety, and I was feeling particularly desperate and wondering how on earth I was going to come through this and whether this was the new normal for the rest of my life and whether, in fact, I could endure it or whether I would be inexorably drawn towards 
thinking about taking my own life even. And we have a small, it was a little wine cellar. It's the old cellar to the 1760 part of our house. It was a two up, two down workman's cottage. And we've turned it into a little chapel. And my wife, when she went to Assisi, brought home a replica of the cross that Francis knelt in front of in the chapel in San Damiano. Um, it's quite big and uh, it had its own seat, apparently on the plane on the way home. Uh, it's a Byzantine crucifix, it's quite an odd crucifix in some ways, it's an icon. Um, but it's this crucifix that Francis prays in front of. So at the beginning of the poem there's a quote from um, Donald Spotto's fantastic life of Francis of Assisi, um, the reluctant saint. He was the biographer of Marilyn Monroe too. And he is talking about the place that Francis discovers. So as the poem says, Francis was full of the dreams of knighthood, um, went out to fight Perugia, the next of the walled cities, and was captured and imprisoned for a year, became extremely sick and ill and was ransomed from the city of Perugia by his rich nouveau riche father. But when he came back, he came back a very changed man. He was broken, physically exhausted and mentally deeply traumatized. And so he is unable to go back to his old life of, of business with his father and carousing at night with his friends. And, and he'd, he loved to be a troubadour and sing outside the windows of beautiful women. And all of that seemed meaningless to him. And he would wander, and this was a dangerous thing to do, as I've said on other podcasts, to wander outside of these city-state walls was to wander into no man's land, into the place of thieves and lepers and, and, and ne'er-do-wells. And um, this is what Francis increasingly started to do. And he discovered a small, broken-down chapel outside Assisi, and in it was this particular crucifix and he would pray in front of it. And that's what the beginning of the poem is describing. Living can become a crumbled down church in whose ruins you accept your smithereened self and see it mirrored in a crucifix hanging by a thread. There was some correspondence, some symbiosis, congruence between Francis kneeling in his smithereened life and this figure on this crucifix in this broken church, the whole thing became a powerful metaphor for his inner life. And the artist Giotto, Giotto has, him, has him kneeling there. And when you look at it, he, he looks the archetypal innocent, um, puer eternus, the, the, the eternal child kneeling in front of this crucifix but if you let your gaze penetrate my poem says it's so much more stark than the old pious stories if you can get under the the as i say in another poem the accretions of catholic rust this this habit we have of pedestalizing that's a terrible creation of a word but putting people up on a pedestal and making it seem like from the moment they were born, they were perfect. 
And then there's another human instinct, like with Princess Diana, that wants to rip them apart, or, or with any modern celebrity. Get underneath all those stories. And this is, I think, what happens when you face your own dismantling and say yes to it. I think Francis realised that all his old life, and I think that that's what's happening to us, our old life is being dismantled before our very eyes. And we are somehow in this, this much deeper theology or spirituality or psychology being asked to assent to this in some way. Francis was addressed by this pinioned figure, inviting to him to relinquish all his facades. All his facades, all the stories we tell about ourselves, the personas that we put on when we go out to work, I'm this, I'm that, and, and to look at ourselves without those things and to see what remains. And this is not being done by some capricious, vengeful deity in Francis's mind and in his experience not a lord demanding fealty but courteously from below a wounded lover he saw the figure on that crucifix as a wounded lover as as someone who was inviting him to come down to descend into the same state as this figure on the cross had assumed in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I'm, I'm not necessarily trying to make a religious point here. I'm trying to make a more mythological point, if you like, that, that Francis experienced Jesus as poor and humble and in the most broken. And he resonated with that piece of Matthew's Gospel that said, whenever you did these things, when you fed the hungry, gave sight to the blind, or looked after the, 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 the sightless, or visited people in prison, you did it to me. There's this, this, this bit about the last judgment where, where a lot of people don't realize that they have, in treating the least, they have done something good for Christ. And, and they are rewarded in that unconscious action. So Francis, he embodies this idea, he calls her Lady Poverty, that he chooses to marry this state of dislocation and disorientation and lack, seeming lack and of not having. He, he chooses to, to make a mystical marriage with that figure because he feels somehow in that terrible invitation to that wedding that it is it's going to be the transforming of him he set about rebuilding the ruined chapel brick by painful brick he said it was his calling what the voice asked of him unaware of just what was being rebuilt and and in that line i'm implying that who was being rebuilt was francis not the chapel the chapel got rebuilt and you can go and see it. It's still there, all in one piece with its slightly bad mortar work and, 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 and shoddy bricklaying. It's still there. And, but what really was being refashioned and recreated was, was Francis himself. That's how radical he was. 
His literalism kept him close to instinct soil. He went with what came from his unconscious. He knew somehow that this was the work he had to do, just brick by painful brick, putting it back together. This is when you reach the, it says, and the pain that comes from being at the end of yourself. And I've always been struck by that idea of when people say, I'm at the end of my tether. And I think, well, if you're tethered and you're at the end of it, isn't that freedom? The, this story says there's a great lover at that frayed tether end. That, that somehow there is a force that is waiting to renovate us as you feel the slow dawn of visceral kindness. That, that somehow when we embrace this dismantling, and please don't hear me as saying that all the terrible, and I've heard some terrible losses and heart-wrenching uh, grief-invoking stories. I'm not saying that this is a good thing, but it seems to be part of our human experience that is inescapable. We all die. And that in somehow learning how to encompass this tragedy and this this dislocation and disorientation, there is some other renovating force. You see it over and over again in mythology and you see it in human lives. People will describe the worst moment of their life and then say, and yet I came through it and I found something extraordinary and I was brought through it. There is some visceral kindness. If you allow yourself to face this terrible invitation in the crumbled down church of your own brokenness, it won't leave you unwounded, but it will become a life. It didn't leave Francis unwounded. In fact, he is always reputed to have carried toward the end of his life the wounds of Christ. In other words, somehow he physically experienced he brought to flesh the woundedness that he carried in his soul. But it became a life for him. He made the most profound life out of this. It's said that in many ways he was, was a huge part of the dismantling of the very unjust, terrible, human-crushing system of feudalism because he in his community refused to bear arms. He would not kill. And therefore all his followers who were myriad were released from that by the Pope's edict. And so they couldn't be recruited to the causes of, of the nobility. This is a man who founded a life that was hugely transformative to hundreds, thousands of people because he accepted that it was okay to be wounded, to be dismantled, to be disorientated, to face that terrible invitation. If anybody's ever seen the series with Sean Bean called Broken, then you see in that 
the, the dismantling of this priest that Sean Bean plays. And if, if you haven't seen it, please watch it and watch the last episode, which I found, I can't watch it without being brought to sobs because there is a renovation that happens to him at the hands of other people who he has wounded and who have wounded him. So I offer this poem as a prayer, as an as a invocation of a, a hope that we can all somehow face the terrible invitation in these times and not run out with knives to fight it, but, but see in our smithereen self, see ourselves hanging by a thread and yet, and yet, see that if we allow ourselves to face the terrible invitation of the crumbled down church of our own brokenness it won't leave us unwounded but it will become a life The terrible invitation. The place seemed on the verge of collapse from old age and neglect. The walls were cracked, the low vault was crumbling, the beams were rotting. Wild grass sprouted along a narrow window and the crescent-shaped apse, once bright blue with painted stars, was faded and peeling. No one had worshipped at San Damiano for years. Living can become a crumbled down church in whose ruins you accept your smithereen self and see it mirrored in a crucifix hanging by a thread. This is what happened to the man called Francis, a nickname from a French mother. His real name was John, after the gaunt locust eater of Judea. He went off to fight Perugia, next of many walled cities, a young man dreaming of nightly standing, taken, dungeoned for a year, needing a father's ransom, returning sick. Recovering far from his old life beyond Assisi's walls, where lepers and thieves roved, finding a ruined chapel, conversing with a crucifix. The artist Giotto captures this on basilica walls in the great mausoleum made for the saint after his death to claim his approval for their Christendom. But if you let your gaze penetrate, it is so much more stark than the old pious stories. It is what happens when you face your own dismantling and say yes to it. Francis was addressed by this pinioned figure, inviting him to relinquish all his facades, not a lord demanding fealty, but courteously from below, a wounded lover. 
He set about rebuilding the ruined chapel brick by painful brick. He said it was his calling what the voice asked of him, unaware of just what was being rebuilt. This is how radical this man was. His literalism kept him close to instinct soil and the pain that comes from being at the end of yourself. Yet his story says there is a great lover at that frayed tether end calling you, renovating you as you feel the slow dawn of visceral kindness. If you allow yourself to face the terrible invitation in the crumbled down church of your own brokenness, it won't leave you unwounded, but it will, it will become a life.